Good morning, everyone. It feels like it's been a long time since I've <laughs> stood before you all, but with a few weeks holiday and COVID, these things happen. Well, this morning we are continuing to work our way through the Lord's Prayer. And we come this morning to what appears to be a very simple request. But it's wedged between the lofty prayers for hallowing of God's name and that his kingdom might come um, and the weighty issues at the other end of the prayer about um, forgiveness and temptation. And, and stuck there in between, we find this simple request to give us this day our daily bread. Now, all of us know what bread is. All of us have eaten it, I'm sure, and some of us have even baked it. So we can all relate to what bread is, right? We might not really be familiar with words like hallowed that we find in this prayer, but all of us know what bread is. And we're familiar with it. And so we know exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says, give us this day our daily bread, don't we? Or do we think, or do we only think maybe that we know exactly what he's talking about? The observant visitor to Jerusalem will notice what seems to us to be a very strange practice. Now, if you're taking the tourist sites in and you're only visiting the big sites of Jerusalem, you might not come across this. But if you spend some time walking through the neighbourhoods, through the streets of the neighbourhoods, particularly in the more religious districts of Jerusalem, you'll see bread. You will see bread, mostly it's double wrapped in plastic or in bags, and you'll see it on walls, and you'll see it like this, hanging on the side of garbage bins, and you might even see it just sitting on the curbside. And it seems like a very strange thing to do to us. Why would anyone leave their bread out in public places? Now, some of us might take bread to public places to feed the ducks, but apart from that, mostly bread is, you know, something we consume at home and um, it's not something that we air in public. Have any of you ever had cause to leave your bread hanging from a tree or hanging from your garbage bin? No? Nobody's ever had that urge? <laughs> well, apparently some people do have that urge. And those people mostly live in Jerusalem. Now, don't get me wrong, not everybody in Jerusalem does this, but some do. And the very fact that some of them do, and that those some that do happen to live in the more religious neighbourhoods of Jerusalem, gives us a very big clue that perhaps we don't view bread in exactly the same way as everybody else does. And that perhaps to these first people to whom Jesus taught this Lord's Prayer, bread had a slightly different meaning to the way in which we view it. So let's start with this clue. Bread 
in public places. What is that all about? Well, from the prophets and the wisdom literature that were precious to these people, they learned to value bread. And they understood the importance of providing for the poor among them. From the prophets, Isaiah 58, 6-7, is this not the fast that I choose? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? Or from Proverbs 22, 9, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. Now, the history of, in the history of Israel, bread is strongly linked with God's provision and his blessing, and we'll come to that later as we move through the morning. Bread is therefore something to be thankful for and something to be grateful for. It is not to be wasted or disrespected. Far better to share what you have in excess with those who are in need. And so that's why bread is left in public places. Some Jews have a very strong aversion to wasting bread. So they'll use old bread to make breadcrumbs and stuffing and puddings and all those sorts of things that you can. And if there's any still left over, they'll leave it out in public places. Sometimes it's collected by people who need it, the poor. But these days, more often it's collected by people who want to feed chickens and goats and whatever else, other animals. And what remains eventually will be collected by the garbage collectors. Now, I think it's a beautiful tradition. It reminds us not to be wasteful. It's a practical way of reducing waste. It gives benefit to anyone who's truly in need. But for the person who does this practice, it is an everyday reminder of God's provision and of our responsibility to take care and look out for those who are less fortunate than ourselves. And so for us Westerners, this practice gives us an insight into this part of the Lord's Prayer. It illuminates it for us. You know, we go to the supermarket and there's a whole aisle, well, half of an aisle of bread. One side of the aisle is all bread, and you can get any kind of bread that you want. You can get it sliced thick or thin or not sliced at all. You can get white or wholemeal or grain bread or rye bread or sourdough bread. You can get pumpkin bread, bread with olives in it, linseed bread, low GI bread, gluten-free bread, 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 bread. There's bread everywhere. It's all relatively cheap and it's plentiful. And we don't think anything of throwing a loaf in our trolley and we don't give much thought to eating it and we don't give much thought to throwing it out if it gets a bit stale and we want something fresher. But it was not always so. Most of us have never had to worry about not having enough to eat. We've never had to worry about growing the grain and milling the grain to produce the flour, to make the dough, to make our bread. That is done for us in abundance by professional farmers. And our professional farmers have access to some of the best, most developed 
varieties of seed. They have access to machinery that allows them to farm not just little, little tiny metre by metre squares, but acres and acres and acres of farmland can be farmed by just one person. They have irrigation if they need it. They have access to herbicides and pesticides to protect the precious crop from anything that might damage it. And if worse comes to worst and there is some sort of natural disaster, a flood or a, a drought, then mostly we can import our grain from another country that's not having those same problems at the same time. But it wasn't always so and it is still today not always so for many people in many parts of the world. And for the people to whom Jesus originally taught this prayer, going without was a very real possibility. Because if it didn't rain, your crops didn't grow, you had no grain, and your family would go hungry. So daily bread was a very real reminder to them of God's provision, day by day, season by season, year by year. But it was also more than that because it was a reminder of his saving hand upon their nation and of the very special relationship that they had with their God. Because when Jesus told them to pray, give us this day our daily bread, that one little word, bread, carries with it an enormous backstory that was part of their history. When God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt, the Egyptians were fearful that maybe all of them were going to die or there'd be some even worse disaster would strike their nation. They endured 10 plagues and the last of those plagues was the plague on the firstborn. Their firstborn had been struck dead and that was the final straw. They wanted rid of these Israelites out of their country lest something even worse might happen to them in their country. The dough for the next day's bread had been prepared and set aside but the yeast had not yet been added. So the Israelites gathered it up and they took it with them because that was what was going to sustain them for the first part of their journey. And so to this day, every year, for seven days, the descendants of those people eat bread without leaven in it because it reminds them of their redemption from slavery by God. And it's also a spiritual reminder to them that what they carried with them on that day was pure. It was without yeast, just as they were to be pure, not taking with them the contamination of, of um, Egypt. So bread was a very special reminder to them of, of who they were and of this special relationship that they had with God. And it sustained them, the unleavened bread, for the first part of their journey. But of course it doesn't last forever. There was a lot of people to feed and eventually the bread ran out and so they began to grumble to their leader, Moses. And they grumbled that there was no food to eat and that it was actually better being a slave in Egypt because they could sit around pots there and eat all the food they wanted. 
And so Moses took this issue to the Lord. And the Lord's response when Moses took the issue to him was, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And that's exactly what he did. Six days a week, every week of every year for 40 years, bread was rained down from heaven and it sustained the people. For five days, they collected only as much as they needed. On the sixth day, they collected a double portion to carry them through the Sabbath. If God did not provide, the people would have gone hungry. But God did provide throughout that 40 years. And it was to descendants of these wilderness wanderers that the Lord Jesus first taught the Lord's Prayer. And when he taught them to pray, give us this day our daily bread, I don't have any doubt that all of that backstory was going on in their minds when they heard the word bread. Because as the lessons of their forefathers were passed down throughout history, it was ingrained in their mind, this relationship or this this link between bread and their dependence on God to supply all their needs. Exodus 16:15 tells us that when they saw this stuff on the ground that we're told looked a bit like frost, they didn't know what it was. And so they said to each other, what is it? And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And so this gives us another clue that the way that the word bread is used in the Bible, what the people understood by this word is not what we understand. We think of bread as being a loaf or maybe a roll. But here it referred to something that looked like frost. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for bread is lehem, and it can mean a loaf, but it can also mean lots of other things. It can mean food. It can mean the basic necessities of life. So it can even mean, you know, fish. If you're a fisherman, then it can mean that. And likewise in the New Testament, the word used in Greek, Greek is the language of most of the New Testament, the word used there is artos, and it carries very similar meaning. And, and you can see that there in 2 Thessalonians 3.12. The verse in the King James Bible says, Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But in the latest version of the NIV, these people are commanded to settle down and earn the food that they eat. And in the ESV, they're commanded to do their work quietly and earn their own living. So this same word, artos, means bread, it means food, and it means a living, the basic necessities of life. And that's the sense of this word in the Lord's Prayer. We're not being told to ask or to pray that, you know, a loaf of bread will appear on the table in front of us. But we're expressing our dependence on God to provide just
just what we need, those necessities for each day. And those who are familiar with the, the story of the Israelites and their, their time in the, the desert will recall that each day they were commanded to collect just what they needed and no more, except for the day before the Sabbath when they were allowed to collect a double portion. Now when the people tried to collect more, they found that their excess the next day was rotten and full of maggots. So they had 40 years of experiential learning about how to depend on God for their daily needs. So when Jesus taught this first prayer to that first audience, straight away in their mind, all of those things that we've just talked about would have been running through their mind. Their forefathers had a very real and physical need and God had consistently and reliably supplied that need. Proverbs 30, 8 to 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I might have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my Lord. Both wealth and poverty bring with them temptations. They're different temptations, but they are both temptations. And this wisdom that is expressed here in the Proverbs, and we've not long finished a series on wisdom, the wisdom that is expressed in these Proverbs teaches us to ask for our daily bread so that the name of God may be hallowed in our lives. And Jesus is here echoing that same wisdom that we find in the Proverbs when he teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, and he places it right below the request that the name of God would be hallowed. When their long journey was nearing an end through the desert and the people gathered east of the Jordan at Moab, finally ready to, to enter into Canaan, Moses reflected on his journey, on their journey, and on God's provision through all of that time. And his reflections are recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. And they are our next clue. They give us a clue that bread often carried a more symbolic function. So Deuteronomy 8.3, this is what Moses says of this time. He humbled you, that being God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes through the mouth of the Lord. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're not only expressing our physical dependence on God to provide for our physical needs, but we're also expressing a need to feed spiritually on the word of God. We're asking him to fill our hearts, not just our stomachs. We're asking him to feed us daily on the life-changing word of God. 
Now bread, as we've seen, featured prominently in the Old Testament. It also features prominently in the New Testament. It featured prominently in the ministry of Jesus. And in fact, in the ministry of Jesus, it is also involved in a turning point in that ministry. Now from some of the um, non-biblical writings, we learn that there was a tradition amongst the rabbis and the Jews that the Messiah, when he came, would be able to repeat the miracle of the manna from heaven. And so the people were expecting that and they were waiting for that. And so you can imagine that when Jesus takes five small barley loaves and a couple of fish and he somehow manages to feed 5,000 people more, if you include the women and children from them, there's going to be some excitement building here. Is this the one who can repeat the miracle? And so the next day the people they won't leave him alone. They want to find out where he is. And so they go searching for him and they find him in Capernaum. But their enthusiasm is brought to a screeching halt when Jesus opens his mouth to speak to them. He says this, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They were seeking the physical and they were caught up and excited about the physical Jesus wants them to see and understand the spiritual truths that this miracle teaches. And he goes on, beginning with the manna in the desert, to identify himself as the true bread of heaven. And he explained how the manna in the desert sustained the life of their forefathers for a time, but that he, the true bread of heaven, was the only one who could give them life forever. But this crowd is more interested in the wow factor of this miracle and the material benefits, the free food that they could get from it, than they were any spiritual truths that were contained in it. And they found this teaching very difficult to accept hunger and manna coming down from heaven and eating it and being filled. They could understand that. It was a physical concept. It was easy to understand. But they struggled to understand the spiritual, to think in spiritual terms and to grasp the spiritual nature of this kingdom that Jesus was trying to explain to them. And sadly, John records that from that time on, many of them turned away. And in many ways, we are very much like those early disciples, those early followers of Jesus. When we come to this line in the Lord's Prayer, we don't have any trouble really thinking about the physical. We can even move beyond bread to thinking about the necessities of life. That's easy for us to do because it's physical and we can grasp it easily. But we struggle to think in spiritual terms. There's a very easy connection in our mind between hunger, food, satisfied. The nutrition permeates our bodies, 
but there's not quite the same connection there between spiritual hunger um, and Jesus satisfying those needs. When Jesus declared himself to be the bread of life and the only one who can satisfy our spiritual hunger, many of us are not quite sure how exactly that works. How exactly is Jesus like bread? How exactly is he this daily bread that we should be asking for? What exactly are we asking for when we're asking for Jesus to give us our daily bread? And this is a very clever metaphor that our Lord has chosen to use. So we're going to dwell on it for just a little bit. I want you to imagine that perhaps I've given you a handful of grains of wheat. And I've given you that to sustain yourself. And most of you are going to end up with a stomach ache because if you try and eat that, it's going to expand in your stomach and it's not going to be pleasant. The grains need to be milled into flour. The flour needs to be made into dough. The dough needs to be baked. And when it rises, it takes on a new form. And in that form, we can use the bread to nourish ourselves. And the nutrients and nourishment that are part of the grains of the wheat, you know, the, the protein, the carbohydrates, the fibre, all of them can be made available to us in this new and risen form. They're not available to us as a hardened grain of wheat. And in much the same way, Jesus was also bruised and crushed and then in a risen form he take on a new and glorified form and in that form the Holy Spirit is available to each and every one of us uh, to provide spiritual nourishment. There's some of the pictures of the, the milling and graining process there. So that's the breadth and the depth of what we're asking for when we uh, take in this spiritual nourishment. We should expect that the character and nature and even the very life of Jesus should become part of us. Just as when you take a bite of the bread, all those nutrients from the, the grains become part of you. When we eat of the spiritual bread, we should expect the character and nature of Jesus Christ to be expressed in us. So, when we are praying, give us this day our daily bread, we are Acknowledging our dependence on God to supply those necessities of life, yes. We're recognising his goodness in what he has already provided and his faithfulness to continue to provide into the future. We're asking him to give us just what we need, no more, no less, so that we are kept from the sin of prideful self-sufficiency, so that his name will be hallowed in our lives. And in a spiritual sense, we are asking that the very life of the risen Jesus would 
manifest itself in us so that we might become more like him each day. And we do it together because this is a corporate prayer. We're not praying, give me this day my daily bread. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We are praying for the physical and spiritual well-being of all the believers. And so often our prayers reflect the difficulty that we have with that spiritual aspect. We're very comfortable praying in the physical for our friends and family. When someone is sick, when someone is grieving, when someone has a need, and there's nothing wrong with that. We're told we should pray those sorts of prayers. But when we're praying, give us this day our daily bread, there's another aspect to it all. And we shouldn't overlook that in our prayers for one another. We need to pray for one another's spiritual well-being as well as just the physical. Because the physical is important, but it's the spiritual that's eternal. So just seven little words. Give us this day our daily bread. But I think Jesus chose his words very carefully because there's a lot packed into them. And I think that if we were to commit to praying those words sincerely together, praying them over one another, I'm sure that we would see a radical transformation in ourselves and in others as that pride of self-sufficiency is crumbled away and as we daily take on more and more the nature and character of Jesus Christ into our bodies. So my question today is will you commit to doing that? Will you commit to praying that over the people here in this church? Will you allow that image of bread to be a daily reminder to you as you make your toast in the morning, as you're preparing sandwiches or whatever you're preparing for the kids' lunches, um, as you're biting into a, a sandwich or a roll? Let it be a daily reminder that we need to pray. Give us this day our daily bread in all of the fullness, physical and spiritual, that that means over one another. Before we close, just one final observation. In both the Old and the New Testament examples that we've looked at today, the needs of the people were provided for miraculously by God. But effort was required on behalf of the people. If God rained down manna from heaven, but no one ever bothered to pick it up, to collect it, to prepare it, and then to eat it, the people were still going to starve. And likewise, with the feeding of the 5,000, one young boy offered up what he had, and the disciples distributed it amongst the multitudes. In each case, God did the miracle, but the people had a role to fulfil. And that same principle applies today. Praying give us this day our daily bread, is unlikely to turn you into a spiritual giant if your Bible remains 
closed on the shelf. If you never pray, and if you don't immerse yourself in the fellowship of other believers. If you're not prepared to forego your bad habits and to give the Holy Spirit free reign in your life, then we're going to be like desert wanderers that feel the crunch of something tasty beneath our feet but never actually put in the effort to stoop down and collect it that we might be filled. So we must pray the prayer and be willing to participate with the Holy Spirit in what he wants to do in our lives. There's a popular saying, all of you will know it, I'm sure, that you are what you eat. And in a physical sense, we all know that to be true. A, a diet that's high in fat is going to lead to more fat around the middle region and maybe within your arteries and things like that. A diet that is high in sugar is going to see you heading down the road towards diabetes. In a spiritual sense, we need to be feeding on the good stuff and we should expect that the results of that will be evident to other people in much the same way that we can get a rough idea of people's diets by what they eat. We can get a rough idea of what's going on spiritually by what they project and who they are. These changes should be obvious to us as we take in the word of God, as we allow the Holy Spirit more and more control in our lives. We should see changes. May it be so among us as we pray this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, you have never failed. You always provide for your people. We ask that you would give us this day our daily bread in all of the fullness of that seemingly simple request. We love you, Lord. Bless your name. Amen.